gentlemen, welcome to Eat, Sleep, Suplex Retweet. Yes, yes, it is the biggest party of the summer and it is the biggest podcast review of the summer. Welcome to Eat, Sleep, Suplex Retweets summer slam review here we go cannot wait we are going to have a party we're filled with positivity here today don't forget guys before we get into this go and check out an entire back catalog eat sleep super actually tweet there's um, amazing shows on there go and check out we did a bret hart show not too long ago go check that one uh, i look back at the g1 climax i don't know what that is it sounded like a sex position to me but go and check it out you know, go and have a good time with all the content. Follow us on Twitter, find us on Facebook, find us on Instagram, you know, at Eat Sleep Suplex Routine. And we do have a YouTube channel. Um, there's a show on there called Quiz Showdown that's very good. Uh, there's a show called The Conspiracy Theory. Um, I heard the guy who that's a bit of a wank, so just leave that one alone. Um, anyway, guys, we're going to get into this today. Um, I have a summer blockbuster panel, all right? And I'm going to tell you what I mean. Uh, first up, this man has the natural good looks, uh, the leading man, je ne sais quoi, and captivating charisma of a 1980s Tom Cruise. On top of that, he is too flying high as ESSR's champion after winning uh, our SummerSlam weekend sweepstake. He is our maverick. Like Berlin, this man will take your breath away. It is Gary Kernan. How's it going, Gary? Oh, David, David, I'm so glad you're back. All is right in the world. I sit rightly on top of the ESSR mountain again. A championship I never lost. I was <laughs> screwed out of it for one of Sarah Greaves' dodgy all-women shows competitions. <laughs> Those and are that, dodgy. Those are very what dodgy. A, <laughs> what a difference a year makes, David. This time last year, I was at SummerSlam. This time, a, a year later, I had to watch SummerSlam from my living room, but also in between you came, you went out of my life and now you've come back into it and I am oh, very happy. It's like, it's like losing a penny and finding just a bit of a dirtier penny, you know? Uh, yeah, that's, that's really you too. <laughs> that's really what it's like. Now jealousy it's, doesn't suit you, Quacko. <laughs> Next up, this man is like Jaws. He is the, the earliest of our blockbuster panel, setting the trend by appearing on the very first ESSR show. But then, sequel after sequel, appearance after appearance, he started getting, you know, just a bit nonsensical. Remember that time he compared Vince McMahon to a key worker? I remember that. And more recently, more recently, he said that Alistair Black was a fourth-round draft pick um, for the next season of the draft. He is one of the hosts of Saturday Draft Live, and in all seriousness, a cornerstone of this podcast that is David Hockney. How you doing, Goat? Great to have you back. It's great to have you. I, I cannot believe the Alistair Black comment, though. No, I was hey, listening listen. last night, bemused, bemused, befuddled, Dave. The numbers don't lie. Like, that's the, the downside of analysis. You just have to report the facts as they are. Oh, I'm not believing that, but we'll carry on. We will carry on. Uh, this woman is the Jack Sparrow of ESSR, just going to put it slightly. She is our captain. Uh, while he enjoys a nice bottle of rum to fill his tongue, she is more uh, of a wine lover herself. Uh, having fun, whatever shit, sorry, panel uh, she appears on, she always brings with her 
a spirit that lights up everyone around her. As Michael Bolton sang, this is a tale of Captain Stacy Smith. Enjoy. <laughs> Hi, David. Welcome back. I'm, I'm so happy to be back, Stacey, and see you and be back in a panel with you. How's it been? Oh, so good. See, I haven't been on a panel for so long, and I just thought, David and Gary and David and Quacky thought, <laughs> perfect panel to come back on. What a perfect panel. The Avengers of panels. And, it is and I've got wonderful. a question for you. Yep. What comes before part B? Part, part A. <laughs> I did not see that one coming at all. <laughs> I was fooled. Um, <laughs> good to have you, Stacey. And finally, how upsetting it was to find in my research that the modern classic Spice World uh, was released in December, so I couldn't compare this man to that. Oh, it could have been. In all seriousness, this man is like Inception, uh, and they're both quite difficult to understand at times. I mean, did anyone really get Quacko's argument about Seamus Bryan being the best WrestleMania opener of all time? Because I certainly did not. Uh, swing it, shake it, move it, make it. Who do you think you are? It is Quacko Aji. He is here. Yes, that is an introduction. Thank you very much, David. And yes, Seamus Daniel Bryan it is the best opening WrestleMania match. I still stand by it. I even even Dave Hopney Meltzer was coming into my idea of thinking, so you can't deny that. I, but you have to admit, though, that was an uphill struggle to get me to uh, agree with oh, you. Oh, but I got there. I got there. Yep, you did get there. Thank you. Did get there in the end with that one. Uh, but today we are going to be talking about SummerSlam. That is what we will be discussing uh, today. It's the pay-per-view that just happened. But before we talk about the event itself, we need to talk about the location. Because there were lots of rumours in the lead-up to this that SummerSlam, I heard SummerSlam's going to be in a beach, I heard SummerSlam's going to be in a boat. Um, none of that ends up being true. It uh, turns out WWE have now got a residency in a stadium and they have set up the WWE Thunderdome, which is basically a big Load of panels around the ring, lots of pyro, lots of lighting, lots of effects. Uh, so, Dave, I'll come to you first on this. What is your thoughts on the Thunderdome? Is it adding to the programme and did it add anything to SummerSlam for you? It's a much needed upgrade. Like, there's no denial. I was, I was a bit curious when they announced they've got a new location coming. And when they produced the Thunderdome, introduced it on SmackDown last week for the first time, like, I was gassed. Like, it, I looked around and I thought, this is exactly what WWE needs to combat the lack of atmosphere caused by the, the COVID-19 pandemic. Like, If you can't bring the fans to the product, then let's interact with them the same way we're interacting now, like remotely through through our computer screens. And technology is all around us. They've capitalized big time on it. And with the added effects of you know the, the HD boards uh, covering all of the fan area and putting pyro behind it. Like I know Quacko has been very happy. You know he's been campaigning for pyro for some time. That little extra bit of um, pizzazz, that little extra bit of production value, it just it emancipated like what SummerSlams meant to deliver, and they've done a fantastic job of it so far. Yeah, I like that, Dave. I like that. And, and Gary, the question I have is: this was reviewed on, on SmackDown on Friday. Would it have perhaps been more effective to hold off the reveal of the Thunderdome until SummerSlam itself? I think so, David, yes, uh, I think so. I mean, when it comes to production, there's very few people that do it better than WWE. They are just so good at this stuff. Uh, I remember watching SummerSlam in particular. Um, uh, I, I said to my son, watch it, wouldn't you love just to actually be 
in there to see what it looked like and to experience it because it looked so bloody cool on the on the TV. Uh, and I think it's going to get cooler as we go go along once the performers get used to working in that environment because there's so many of them that the first time they really, you know, worked was SummerSlam themselves. And you could see, you see in, in Raw this week, for example, Drew cutting his promo and trying to get some interaction from the screens when he asked for thumbs up from people. You've seen that in SummerSlam and Randy Orton came to the ring and he, he stopped. I just love this bit when he stopped in front of one of the screens and almost like eyeballed them as if he would do normally, except the person in the screen he looked at probably didn't know that he was being stared down by Randy Orton at that point. Yeah. I just think it's going to be great once the performers get more used to working in that type of environment. Um, but 10 out of 10 for WWE, to WWE for this one. It, it looked amazing and certainly added uh, enormously to SummerSlam. I think when you look at SummerSlam and you go back and watch WrestleMania, the contrast is going to be stark. Yeah, definitely. And, but the question I have for you, Stacey, I brought up the, the rumoured locations uh, of SummerSlam there. Do you think the Thunderdome was better than having SummerSlam on a beach? Uh, what was? Would you have taken one or the other? Well, I think that the overall winning one would obviously be on my boat. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think where they had it was a good idea. Um, It was a bit strange, like, seeing just the faces around again, and just like seeing faces like you only see half of their face because they were that close to the screen. But, um, no, it was good. (laughs) And, um... Yeah, and it was just really weird though because all the screens seemed to freeze at the exact same time, like <laughs> like a split second. So it would just be like quiet and no one moving, and then yeah, it was, it was just really weird. But yeah. I, I think it was good where it was. I agree with that. that I, I was down for SummerSlam on the beach. I think that that would have been pretty awesome. I wasn't feeling SummerSlam in a boat because that would be done by others, but SummerSlam in a beach would have been pretty cool. Aye, SummerSlam on a beach with the the HD screens people watching, I think that would have been fantastic. Add in the pyro, like, you get the best of all three set up. It'd be amazing. Aye, we could have had the first ever Drowned Alive match, uh, but we were robbed of that. Uh, from SummerSlam not being on a beach. Quacky, uh, Dave mentioned it there. We're at the Amway Centre. No pyro, no party. Good to have all of the, the bells and whistles back for the entrances. Absolutely, yes. I love pyro. Do you know I loved about it? Was, you know, normally with uh, pyro, they have to have a bit of health and safety in there and not having to close the crowd. Now, this time they stuck it in where the crowd would normally be. <laughs> so there was like pyro coming out some poor guy's ears and stuff like that. Brilliant stuff, I loved it. Good stuff, man, good stuff. So back onto SummerSlam itself, and we're going to start big here, guys. We are going to start with the WWE Championship match. All right, we picked Drew McIntyre against Randy Orton. And I want to talk about Randy Orton first. Lead up to this match, Kwaku, the legend killer, return of this character. This has been an incredible run all round for Mr. Randy Orton. Yeah, very much so. Um, it's built him up as the being the. Sorry, excuse my French, there, but there's only one way of describing him the real bastard that he is. Like, he's yeah. just an absolute bastard. Absolutely. I have to say like that. Um, even his own mentor, his own manager, wasn't safe from him. 
um, Shawn Michaels wasn't safe from it. Nobody was safe from Randy Orton. And this is peak Randy Orton, in my opinion, when you actually see him being evil, as as bad as it is, because he just has that air of he really cares, and he's putting in the effort to sell everything, and he takes beatings from other people and stuff, so it really, I really do like this Randy Orton. Yeah, and I'll, I'm Gary, I'm going to come to you next on this. We had Randy Orton there. Um, very, very good run so far. Question marks maybe on Drew's WWE Championship run so far from WrestleMania till now. What's your evaluation of it leading into SummerSlam? I think it's, um, I think it's fair to say he's I think he's done the best with the cards he's been dealt, but he's not been dealt the best hand. He's been through this sort of bad day of the week type of scenario up until now and not exactly you know, A-list feuds with the exception of Seth Rollins in his first defence uh, or first pay-per-view defence, sorry. Um, Bobby Lashley wasn't really a credit, credible contender. Dolph Ziggler certainly wasn't. Um, so I was looking forward to this being Drew's first proper feud is how I was viewing this as the, champ- as the champion. I thought, I thought and feared that his title run would be cut short and that he would be dropping the belt at SummerSlam so I was absolutely delighted that there was going to be more of this story and based on the the finish of the match it was clear that this was chapter one in a, a story that's going to run a lot longer so really pleased that Drew got this proper feud uh, interesting how they tried to bring the story together and Drew was suddenly coming to the the save of the the people very closely associated to Randy Orton. Uh, I thought Quacker's description was was really great against the build. <laughs> that Ric Flair moment where it looked like they sort of were back on the same page was quite touching. Uh, but one of the things I loved about this is how they re-established the punt as a proper finisher. I thought that was a really great storytelling, but really pleased that Drew's getting his first proper feud and that WWE's got the confidence, I think, to put it that way, to continue with his run. Yeah, and I think that's a good evaluation of the setup to this match for both you guys, but, but getting into the match itself, we start off, and it's a very, very cagey start from Randy Orton. He's ducking and diving. He's playing games with Drew McIntyre here, and it was noted in commentary. Uh, I think it was by Samoa Joe that Randy Orton was playing Drew McIntyre like a fiddle. Um, and this isn't just the character, this is actually the professional wrestler Randy Orton himself. Uh, Dave, he really gets the psychology of how to build a wrestling match. Like just with little things like ducking and dodging out the ring, he makes it, he sells it rather, a lot better than most and makes it a lot more interesting. It all comes with the experience that Randy Orton brings to the table. You know, he's been with WWE for 20 plus years now. and. You know, I think the the commentary basically described it as best they can. Like, Randy Orton is a very tricky competitor to go up against, knowing that he has that psychological edge over his opponents. And you could see Drew was getting frustrated right at the start of that match. And it made you wonder, is that going to be the downfall uh, for Drew going in this match? Uh, thoughts on the match itself? I mean, it was a bit slow for my liking. Like, maybe not Drew's best WWE title match. But it was obviously the the shock and the surprise and the psychological warfare that really added to it. And I'm really I was really shocked to see Drew retain because all the signs were pointing to a Randy Orton victory, given how well he's been portrayed on Raw lately. And to Gary's point, I think 
Drew's actually carried himself very well as WWE Champion given the circumstances. Like, he's put himself on this pedestal to say, I'm the standard bearer for Monday Night Raw now. And he's done not just himself proud, he's done the entire the the entire nation of Scotland proud, and I'm sure we can all attest to that. Yeah, definitely. Not the only surprise Drew retaining, Stacey. Uh, the, the makeup of this match itself was a bit surprising. We didn't see an RKO hit, didn't see a Claymore hit. I don't think we've seen a punt hit. Um, what did you make of the story of this match? Um, the way that they sort of weaved the teases of these finishers in without anyone connecting with it? This is the kind of match that I kind of like, you know, that way it's won very much or you don't know what way it's going to go because you know how like some matches it's very much one person is dominating and then the other person but it seems very much like give and take between them both so I think it was quite good that they didn't really get to do like their finisher moves really so then you were so then you're just like oh it's not the end now it's not the end and yeah no, I right. uh, sorry, David. I just wanted to say I, I, I agree with Stacey's point there. You've seen a really unusual move set. I don't think I've ever seen Drew do a figure four leg lock before. Mm. And there were some matches, some moves in here that just aren't normally part of their arsenal. Like there was a lot of clotheslines that don't often see as much from these two. Um, the back backslide. I think we have to go back to the eighties to see a proper backslide finish. Uh, and so there's some really unusual bits in here, which I, I, I like. But I, I think David's point about it being slow to start was was, was really good. Yeah, but that Kwaku, that is that's Randy Orton to a team. You know, for better or for worse, Randy Orton commentary batter this in your head, slow and methodical pace, uh, deliberate pace of Randy Orton. Uh, so it's sort of, he's a Marmite wrestler, you're either going to love what he brings to the table um, or you'll love it. Was this one of Randy Orton's better SummerSlam showings, would you say? Yes and no, because in terms of the build of the future feud, yes, but if you're going to judge it for the match itself, probably not, no. Because you do see Randy, like I know this wasn't a match to be the match match, if you know what I mean. This was about building the new feud and stuff like that. So that precede, that oversees what the wrestling content should maybe be. Maybe down the line we will see the greatest wrestling match ever. I don't know. Kind of similar to SummerSlam match last year, I thought, uh, in that it was the start of a story and there was more to come of it, which kind of made me think one year on you were not going to get the same Randy Orton saga, but actually we are, but, but I'm okay with that. <laughs> um, and at, oh, end, sorry, um, at the end of the match, when Drew said, this isn't my title, this isn't yours, it's everyone's, I heard that and I was like, well, if it's everyone's, they should let Randy Orton have a go of waiting it. <laughs> that was my thoughts when I heard him say that. Yeah. Uh, you remember what he said at the, the end of the match as well? He's not at the top of the mountain, he is the mountain. He is the mountain, he is the sea, in the great words of Biffy Clyro. Wow. Well, I do actually, I, I have to agree with, with the consensus here. The match didn't blow me away, but I actually, I think I liked it more uh, mm. than most. I, I enjoyed the hard hit nature of it. It seems to be a genuine hatred between Drew and Randy Orton, which a lot of 
rivalries in wrestling, they can't quite get that across sometimes. That the, the two absolutely love each other, and I got that here. You know, I got the impression that Drew truly resents everything Randy Orton stands for, and Orton uh, feels the same about Drew. It was a very hard-hitting match for a couple of aspects. Like, you mean there was a Orton hit Drew with a really brutal sort of powerbomb spot, and it, that looked like it yeah. genuinely hurt. And not only that, we got to see a bit of OG Drew McIntyre as well when he pulled out the the Future Shock DDT, a very impactful uh, former finisher. I thought he was going to win off that, you know, if it wasn't going to be the Claymore. Yeah, and we've seen we've seen that before. And like you guys say, it looks as though that feud's going to be continuing. We'll talk about it more uh, in the future going forward. I don't think any of this will be against the continuation of Drew versus Randy as a feud. Um, but one feud that seemed to come to a definitive end. Uh, at SummerSlam is one that has been running for a while. It was the Loser Leaves WWE match between Mandy Rose and Sonya Deville. Um, Stacey, this has been running since just before WrestleMania and has continued till now. This has been easily one of the most captivating feuds on WWE television, in my opinion. Would you share that view? From what I saw from the video package beforehand, yes, I'd have to agree, but uh, I haven't really seen much else of it before that. But I think that's a, I think that's a fair summary, guys. <laughs> I think that's a really fair summary. I thought, uh, and I said in previous show, that Sonia is one of the people that has really shone in this performance centre, empty arena setting where she's been able to cut some really impactful promos and I am not convinced she would have been able to do that with 20,000 people in the arena. So um, I think what Stacey said, you've seen a really nice summary of this long running uh, story uh, along the way there. And I, I just wanted to take a moment to give Sonia, because I think she's been one of the stars of this this period. I, I've been really impressed with her work. So yeah, Sonia's, Sonia's done a fantastic job cutting those promos. It's like, it's like proper hatred and anger from the heart. It's genuine emotion showing in promos. Maybe some essence of reality there, maybe a little bit of jealousy, but you know Sonia and Mandy are best friends in real life. So the, the, the fact they were able to pull, pull this off, it's nothing short of uh, spectacular. Yeah, in Kwaku, obviously there was a last-minute change to this match. Uh, we thought we were going to get hair versus hair. Um, unfortunately, real-life circumstances got in the way uh, that meant Sonya was not able uh, to shave her head. She will have to take some time away. Uh, do you think WWE did well to justify the change in stipulation? Yeah, I mean, it was done really well. I mean, obviously, because of how serious the events of what happened this week to her, it's still in the forefront of your mind, and uh, they are they kind of addressed it in backstage promos and stuff like that without fully addressing it but I'm sure you know what happened with the seriousness of it so it was done well you still couldn't help but think about it because of how serious it was but they did a good job and what they could do with it because as they say the show must go on but they did it in a good way that was addressing it but the show was still going on because I would have been disappointed if it wasn't addressed in any way this week because let's be honest it's really shocking really horrible and bad totally totally and um, good lead up to it like I said invested in this rivalry but 
Gary, this was never going to be your, your your Southern Tennessee wrestling match, you know. But what really impressed me? About what have this, you been watching, David? The wrestling, mate, the wrestling. <laughs> he's, been uh, watching, <laughs> he's been watching South Park regional wrestling. <laughs> but what impressed me about this? This was just a scrap, Attitude esque uh, from the beginning. We got a suplex on the ramp, like in the opening minutes here. Good intensity shown from these ladies. Yeah, there was a couple of nice spots they did in the match as well. I loved it when uh, the, there was a the table set up and Sonia was at one side and Mandy was sort of skidding the chairs along the table and Sonia was managed to dodge them. I thought that was a really clever spot on it. And actually, when you think about it, the, the personal nature of this rivalry shouldn't have led to a technical wrestling match it should have been a fight and it was a fight so it fits the story uh, uh, entirely I thought at times uh, a couple of wee bits like for what they've been through this past week I thought at times the work was a wee bit sloppy at times there's some you know bits that could have been smoother along the way um, there was something about the stipulation I think the stipulation made sense um, in the end and actually uh, uh, just in terms of the story, if you take out what has happened, but, but there is something about a hair versus hair match between two female talent that means that just to me, at least, it feels more uh, significant than it is when it's the men in the ring. Um, but I thought, you know, you know, credit where where credit's due. This was a this was a good match. I, I was really pleased to see uh, some women that were not involved in the title scene actually be given something to do. Yeah, and I actually, I think you can give them some slack, even like you said, Gary, like they've been through a lot this week uh, for the couple of maybe slightly dodgy moments, but also this was the first high profile singles match uh, really in both these women's careers. Yeah, you know, they've them. never performed mm-hmm. at this level on this stage at SummerSlam. Um, so I was really impressed with them for that. The, the only thing I would say, yeah. uh, Stacey, we talked, Gary talked about the innovation with the tables and the, the sliding the chairs across it, and that was quite cool. You don't bring a table out though if you're not going to break it, surely. No, well, unless it's the unbreakable tables that some people have. They <laughs> <laughs> um, have the table. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just saying that. Tables. It's quite good to see that other people struggle with picking up tables like that. <laughs> At least I know it's not only me that struggles with things like that. Um, when I've had to lift up a table like that before. Um, Who do you put for tables? No, I had to lift up the table. To put someone through? No. Yeah, those tables are surprisingly heavy. They are. And um no, but I, I think the way that they done it was, I, th- I thought it was a, a great match between the two of them. And then um, even seeing it like, even the way like when it showed the promos beforehand, it showed, uh, it showed Mandy being like, oh, can we work this out? So on, so on. And Sonia was just like, whatever we're going to do, it's going to be, this is going to be like the end of us, basically. And then um, I thought it was quite good as well when they came out with, their outfits. So obviously Mandy was all in white, Sonia was all in black, so it was kind of like good versus evil and yeah. I thought I thought it was good. I thought it was got good thinking behind it as well, like even like the small details like that. 
and you know I, I completely agree with you on that Stacey there is there's one thing I want to bring up just I've seen this online that there's been a bit of criticism to to the finish of the match here and I do I do actually have a theory about this uh, I'll come to you with this Dave mm -hmm. from my opinion the finish of the match actually works fine but it works better with a crowd getting more and more anticipated every knee that Mandy Rose gives when she hits the kiss for a rose and then that last moment where she's saying to the corner just speaking to Sonia with rage before she delivers the final bow I've seen a lot of people online say it was a bit underwhelming do you where do you stand on that particular issue um it's kind of difficult to say because I think the storytelling aspect behind that finish was actually done really well you know Mandy hitting three knees in a row I think it was a really emphatic statement to essentially kicks on your develop of her life and but i have to give credit where credit's due to mandy rose like i was never a big fan of her in ring work but this you know she just upped her game this time and i was really impressed by the way she carried herself the overall uh, finish itself i think they missed an opportunity with that table like what i mean just like you said you know why bring out a table if you're not going to break it so it was just sort of sitting there on the outside and they just had this rather you know pretty standard finish i think what they could have done if I'm fantasy booking, is have Mandy win the way she did, but then Sonya just absolutely snaps at her, just say, I don't care if I'm leaving, I'm taking you with me. And she goes to put her through the table on the outside. But in some reversal of fate, Mandy reverses it, pushes Sonya off the ring apron, and she goes through the table as an emphatic finish. If, they did, if they'd done that, I would have been a lot more satisfied with the finish. Not that I wasn't satisfied with the, the approach they took. But if they just incorporated a table spot in there, I think it would have been perfect. I think it's, I think the finish could have been much, or would have been much more impactful if people had really associated that as Mandy Rose's finish. Um, it's not a hugely established finish. Like if Drew had hit three Claymore kicks, you'd have been like, oh my, yeah, that's underlined the point there. But you know, think back, when was the last time you, you see Mandy win matches regularly using that finish? I just didn't think it was an established finish that maybe lost something for that if people had really understood it. I remember as a kid uh, hearing Sid Justice Cycle Sid uh, talking about how he was going to powerbomb Hulk Hogan five times and everyone was like, oh my God because that was a devastating move. You only have to do it once to finish a match. I think that's maybe how... So I understand why they did it, but I think that's maybe why it didn't hit the emotional marks that it potentially could have done. Yeah, because I would always associate Mandy Rose finisher with being the kiss for a rose. I've, I can hear that call in my head from Tom Phillips saying it in the Elimination Chamber, you know, and, and the likes. Uh, so I, I actually think you're really onto something there with that, Gary. Um, but what's next for... Both women, uh, Sonia Deville is gone uh, for the foreseeable future. But Kwaku, I can see Mandy Rose, she's proved herself in this feud to be a very effective babyface. Perhaps the next challenger for Bailey's uh, SmackDown Women's title, not to spoil anything. Mm, very possible, very possible. I mean, for me, that would be the most awesome thing to have Otis cash in on the triple threat match. Or, or, sorry, I'm not spoiling something. I don't know. <laughs> um, cash it in on some, something or something. something. <laughs> Here, actually, one other point. See when Otis ran out towards the end with his briefcase, I was like, holy crap, Otis is cashing in. I was like, oh no, wait a minute. No, this is Mandy. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> so there was a very brief second that I panicked when Otis came out with the briefcase. I was like, holy crap, is he cashing in? I think he cashed yeah, in later most... on in the hotel room. 
All right. That's the most notice. That's the most notice has done in ages uh, as well. He's hardly done anything. And did you notice he had a Mandy Rose T-shirt on as well? Mm. Ah, yeah, I did. Uh, Stacey, um, everything was so sweet as well. Both in the worm, whatever it's called, caterpillar, yeah. Oh, she gassed herself because she landed around her chest when she's tired. Naomi <laughs> 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 next. Oh, like, <laughs> Maddie does. Maddie cannot do a caterpillar to save herself. Yeah, and someone um, so from someone who can't do a caterpillar uh, to someone who can't quite save Monday Night Raw without pesky people getting in the way. He only wants to do it for the greater good. I am talking, of course, about. Our Lord and Saviour, the Monday Night Messiah himself, Seth Rollins. Um, Gary, come to you here, the Monday Night Messiah. I'm a big fan, as you can tell by my enthusiasm here, but is this peak Seth Rollins? Is this the best character he's presented in WWE? Oh, his character work just now is exceptional. I love the way he walked to the ring at SummerSlam. He, you know, this 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 version of Seth Rollins is very different from the the ones we've seen before, and I didn't think the ones that we'd seen before were broken and needed to be changed. But I'm loving, loving the Monday Night Messiah. I just loved his his swagger, the presentation. It's a great lesson for anybody that's watching on in character work. I think he's knocked it out of the park with this one. Yeah. I completely agree with that, and from Seth Rollins to his opponent in this match, uh, Stacey, when you seen he was taking on Dominic Mysterio, you must have you must have been thinking, what 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 is going on? Uh, what were your expectations of Rey Mysterio's son going into this one? Well, I I just thought it was going to be a total squash match. Really. <laughs> I didn't really know that Dominic was a proper wrestler because like I said I haven't watched uh, Raw or Smackdown for a while now because um, I'm just so busy doing nothing it seems but um, but I need to start getting back to watching it um, but I was just seeing it I was like he he was fantastic like I didn't know what to expect from him but it wasn't I didn't expect what I saw anyway <laughs> it was fantastic yeah. Yeah, he was trained by Lance Storm. Well, well, it's no wonder he needs working his promos then. No, I'm kidding. No, Lance Storm's great. <laughs> Lance, Storm, Lance Storm's fantastic. Uh, before we get into the, the goings on in this match, we need to talk about gear, uh, wrestling gear, uh, just so we're clear on that. Um, <laughs> Dave, I'll come to you first. Um, oh, Elmsley had Seth Rollins um, paying tribute, some might say. Um, or trying to gain a psychological advantage uh, by wearing what was the Rey Mysterio's Halloween Havoc gear. Uh, what was your what was your thoughts on that? I thought that was an excellent touch. You know, it's psych- again, it comes back to psychological mind games in the same way that Randy Orton was doing with Drew. Uh, and Seth's known for having some really colourful and definitive attires when it comes to SummerSlam. Like one year, I think he went dressed as Thanos. One year he went as uh, the the White Ranger, and then another year he went as Tron. Like he's been very creative with his uh, with his outfits, and this time you know it was a nice uh, heel twist to it. And it, it didn't I didn't clock on it at first because I didn't watch wrestling in the nineties yeah. with WCW and stuff. But when I realised it was actually Rey Mysterio's Halloween Havoc uh, design, I I thought to myself, this is Seth Rollins just 
poking the bear when it comes to the Mysterio family. Yeah, I thought that was too subtle, actually, because uh, I was looking at it and I, I, I didn't get it. I thought the question marks were from the Riddler, but the Riddler wears green. I thought that was maybe a wee bit too subtle. I thought you were going to talk about Dominic Mysterio's gear. And note for everybody, don't wear a hoodie when you're wrestling. That hood can't yeah. get in his way. How many times do you have to throw the thing back down? Oh, uh, like, do not wear a hood when you're when you're competing. I'm sorry, but I mean, I appreciate the rest of his of his attire. Now, the, the full sort of Seth Rollins jumpsuit kind of design to him, but just get rid of the bloody hood. I, I get it's got the the bits of the mask as it is in tribute to his dad. But he kind of already has that sort of design on his gear anyway. So if he just get if Dominic just gets rid of the hood going forward, I mean, I'd be happy with that. Yeah, and then we need to get into the match itself now. Um, Kwaku, start of this match is maybe a Stacey feared. It looks like Seth is just going to completely outclass uh, Dominic Mysterio. He's making fun. He's saying, is, is he your son? Is he your son or is he Eddie's? He can't be either of yours. He's, he's, <laughs> yeah, he's rubbish. Uh, but then we see Dom come back with the fire. Uh, Quacky, what were your, your thoughts on the opening sequences of this match here? Yeah, it was well played out and stuff. And going into this match, I really didn't know what to think. So I just thought, okay, I'll clear my mind of any prejudices or judgments or anything, and I'll just take it in. And I'm glad I did that because I, this this is actually my second favorite match of the night. Yeah, and I agree with that. And uh, Stacey, I need to come back to you with this: the story of this match, even for someone who hasn't been keeping up. If with what's been going on that much it was very easy to, to see what was happening here, it was Seth it was Dom putting in the babyface performance and his dad trying not to interfere despite the brutality going on wasn't it? Yeah um, it was just like even like seeing on the like the VT back it was like seeing um, like when Seth got him with the kendo sticks and things oh. like that like seeing the state mm. of him like after that and then seeing the way that um seeing the way that Seth started on him again with the kendo sticks and I kendo sticks for me are one of the worst things that you can use in a match because I think it's the sound that just makes it the worst part like the fact that it like echoes and it was just like that many hits I was like oh no I can't watch this but I kept on hearing it so I may as well watch it um, uh, but then it was like um, when it came to um, Buddy Murphy uh, coming yeah. out and then um, like um, putting Dominic next to the steel step and then um, trying to get his eye into that. I was like, well, that's quite that's quite interesting. Like going back to the storyline before, um, like with Seth and the dad with Ray Mysterio, and then. Um, but one part I didn't get was when Rey Mysterio got handcuffed to the side of the ring and then when he got into the ring and he kept on acting as though, oh, I'm just like, I'm almost there, I'm almost there from like the other side of the ring, like to get his <laughs> I was like, what are you trying to do? 
<laughs> I mean, the ropes, the ropes have some given. The ropes have some given them, but you no, know, not enough to. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I don't know about you guys. I mean, if I was in the ring with Seth Rollins and he's whipping me about with a candlestick, and my dad was there, I would hope that he would at least try and reach instead of just say, oh, "I can't reach you." You crash on. Run it off, um, but <laughs> that's my dad used to shoot me all over the place. Um, but <laughs> but the, Gary, the story in this match really paid off. Uh, Dom kept getting back up. Eventually, Angie Mysterio, Mrs. Mysterio herself, uh, appears at the top of the ramp and Ray's like, "No, you need to go." And you really, one thing about Ray Mysterio, actually, I think more since he's came back, his character work, the way he sells things, the way he puts in that performance, it, it was gold stars, and it really, really helped this match. Yeah, you wonder how much longer Ray Mysterio's career could have gone if he'd maybe learned that a little bit earlier, particularly the type of wrestler that he was. Um, in his early days, um, but yeah, I I love the so I, I agree with Clacker actually. This is what up there is one of my favourites of the match. The storytelling, the slow, fast, slow pace in the match. The candlesticks were wicked through the use of them and the build up and on on the day of it as well. Um, and I love the finish of the match. The the fast pace, the story, the tension, the drama. That all went into it. This was WWE at its best with all the craziness, you know, all these different characters all over the place, out and about. And Seth just looked like the ultimate villain at the end when he had uh, Ray tied in the corner, helpless, tr- desperately uh, trying to get to his son, and then he just mercilessly curb stomped him, which is one of my favourite finishes. You can do it yeah. absolutely anybody loved it. Curb stomps the the sun into the ground and pins him. I just love that finish and makes Seth just look so evil now going forward. Yeah, and Dave, I have to come to you about one spot in particular. It was my favourite spot of the match, and it was the it was the candlestick assisted leg sweep almost from mm. the from the middle rope into uh, through the table. That yeah. was a really cool spot. Hey, at least we got a table bump that night, so I'm uh, I'm pleased with that. <laughs> but I, I've seen the the candlestick be used as a sort of Russian leg sweep uh, type attack. But from the middle rope through a table, I think that was quite a, an ingenious spot. And for Dominic to take a table bump in his first match, I mean, this is a guy who's actually taken bumps from Brock Lesnar as well. So I mean, it's it's good to see that he's you know continue. He's basically been pushed into the deep end when it comes to you know his his in ring debut and. I think he went above and beyond what I expected of him for his first match. But when you're in a when you're in the ring with somebody like Seth Rollins, I think you're in perfectly safe hands and you can get away with some really big spots. So and going back to what was said about Rey Mysterio's character, the fact that he was the doting father, like this was a new dimension to his character and it really he came across really well and he sold the emotion brilliantly. Like he wanted to help his son out but he knew he couldn't because he wanted to respect that Dominic, you know, he's a grown man now. He can, uh, he wants to fight his own battles. So I, I really, really enjoyed this match, not just for the the match itself, but the storytelling. I think I would, I would agree with you guys. Say that it was my second favorite match of the night. And it's a very interesting seed they've planted there. Dad promised not to get involved. He didn't keep that promise. Stacy, would you be interested in a family fight? between Dominic and Ray some point down the line. I think that would be quite good. And obviously with 
how well Dominic's shown already. Well, he'll already have an advantage because he doesn't have an eye patch on his outfit. So um, already he's at an advantage against his dad. Very you're evil, 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 like evil woman. Yeah. You want to see a father and son fight? How Hold dare on, you? Hold on, He is biologically Eddie Guerrero's son. This oh, is, this you're is, even worse for that comment. This was clarified in 2005. You're that even worse. Years ago. But, uh, fatherhood is not decided by blood. It's decided by reaching up a ladder and retrieving the contract. That's what <laughs> I've been told. That's what I've been told. Maybe I've been doing it wrong. Uh, I've played a lot of ladders in my time and now <laughs> I have an army of children ready to go. They need to have a custody of Ray's mask ladder match at WrestleMania and that could be Ray's would... retirement. He retires, he gives up his mask that. and Dominic inherits it. Oh, that's a great idea. But anyway, guys, we need to talk about in the next half... <laughs> in the next half of the show, we need to talk about uh, my future tag team in the ESSR draft, the Golden Role Models, Bailey and Sasha Banks. Both of them faced Asuka, so we're going to talk about that in part two. But at our break, let's listen to the promo that explains how we got to this point with these three very talented women at SummerSlam. Hello, my name's Jack Graham. Hello, my name's Scott McLeod. And I'm David Hockney. You can catch us hosting one of the greatest shows in the history of podcasting, Saturday Draft Live. You can tune in every Saturday to see who on the podcast has the best chance of winning the latest season of our Fantasy Draft. As always, you can catch Saturday Draft Live on the Suplex Retweet Extra feed on your preferred podcasting platform. congratulate you. I mean, the two of you have achieved insurmountable goals. Thank you so much, Stephanie. That means so much coming from you. Really, all we're trying to do is be role models. And what a job you've done. I mean, being a guest referee at the horror show at Extreme Rules. Sasha Banks trying to roll out of this and barely tossing one of the titles in. Ripping the shirt off the official! What, what is going on? We're even making a mockery out of a stipulation I made by brutally attacking Kyrie Sane. What the? It, Kyrie Sane and Bailey rolling! Oscar's having to choose between a championship or her best friend! Oscar's going into the back to go after Bailey. Having Oscar get counted out and lose her championship. Sasha Banks has won the Raw Women's title via count out. You know, I'm not sure about being role models. So at SummerSlam, Sasha, you will be defending the Raw Women's Championship. 
If Asuka can take out Bailey, Asuka will earn a Raw Women's title match at SummerSlam against Sasha Banks. Mocking Kyrie Sane. Asuka lock on Bailey. Tap out. Asuka's going to SummerSlam. And as for you, Bailey, remember all those enemies you've been making? Well, they will all have a chance for retribution when they compete in a triple brand battle royal with the winner facing you for the SmackDown Women's Championship. We're down to Shayna Baszler and Asuka. Bailey tied on to that Asuka. Hanging on for dear life. Shayna Baszler now. And the lock in the Kirifuda clutch. Asuka had it scouted. Baszler eliminated. Asuka wins. She could leave SummerSlam with both titles. There's nobody that can beat us in one night. Not Asuka, not anyone. <laughs> I will be the empress of every title. No one is ready for and gentlemen, welcome to Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet. And you did hear a promo there for Saturday Draft Live. Of course, the new season does kick off uh, this week. So listen in as you can hear great drafters like myself and Gary make our picks and other people as well. So let's get on with part two of the show. I, hosted by the three greatest people on this pod, my, I add myself, the Shagger Jack Graham and Mr. 44 Scott McLeod. Then that was true that was true when it was hosted by David Campbell, the Truff, and the Goat. Uh, but anyway, let's get back to <laughs> part two. Sorry, of you let us go. You let us go. We're picking up your scraps here. The Shagger Jack Graham. They're two things that should not go in a sentence together. <laughs> You hear that, Jack? The champ's talking trash at you. You can say it, but does it make it true, Jack? <laughs> let's talk about part two. Let's talk about, we do have some listener responses about SummerSlam. Thank you for reaching out with uh, to us. Don't forget to interact with us on socials. We want to make this the fan show. We want to hear your voice. Make sure you interact with us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Uh, but I'll start off with what we got from the panel who are not here with the most detailed response I got from one Stephen Wilson, never shy of words. He said, I enjoyed Seth versus Dominic. And uh, that was a story enough. But when pride for information, I asked him why. He replied, storytelling, full stop. Brilliant stuff from Stephen Wilson there. Uh, we then have Scott McLeod, who sent an overall SummerSlam was a strong show, with a couple of exceptions. Mandy versus Sonya finish fell flat, and the main event didn't really match the build it had. Other than that, it was great. Excellent storytelling in both of Asuka's matches. Dominic stole the show, and I'm excited to see Roman back. Uh, the so-called Shagger Jack Graham. I think seeing Reigns appear again is absolutely fantastic with this new attitude as well. Uh, proper looking forward to see where it goes. And then we have some fan feedback. Uh, Dave Holmes says Asuka winning the Raw Women's title, The Fiend having a clean win, even if it just meant he was fed to Roman straight away. Something we will discuss later on, Mr. Dave Holmes. Um, and Lewis Jameson said, I don't like Ro Roman going right after The Fiend, but if the angle is what his shirt says, and I may buy that shirt, it's awesome, then I'm game with it. But Dominic's performance was a major high point. I remember Ray versus Eddie's custody ladder match and having that pay-per-view 
on VHS and I was impressed by him. Can't wait to see where he goes next. Thank you so much for that feedback, guys. Don't forget, this is the People Show. Interact with all of us on Twitter, on socials. We want to get that thriving. Uh, but we are going to talk about, as you heard in the break here, the build-up to this match. Bailey versus Asuka first up, and then we had Sasha versus Asuka. Gary, you have a long and storied history with Bailey. Maybe not sold um, on her as a heel at first, but she's really come into her own in commentary. Or build, bigging up this title run is one of the biggest in SmackDown history. Yeah, I mean Bailey broke my heart. She destroyed destroyed my my life and my relationship with my children. Uh, she has a lot to answer for. Um, but that's not funny, Quack. That's tragic. I know. I'm sorry. It's just the way you presented it. Uh, oh, has trust issues now. Uh, we never forget after Bailey Hill turned in her mouth, convinced her to come and watch wrestling for the first time after that. And then Finn Balor turned heel and she ran away crying. Bailey's title run, you know, I, I love the old Bailey character. I pray every day that we just go back to that world that was, uh, the world was a much better place then. But Bailey is a heel. I mean, she has really owned it. Uh, credit where credit's due. She's reinvigorated her character. She's playing the part that she's currently in exceptionally well. This cocky, self-centered person. Um, I, I thought this was a good, solid opener. Um, and I, I've loved some of Asuka's work recently. Actually, since WrestleMania, I, I really, really loved. Uh, what Asuka's been doing, but Bailey is, uh, you know, she's the reason that Stephen Wilson won the ESSR draft. She is, um, she has been exceptional and she's on a remarkable title run just now, which, um, how much longer this goes goes on remains to be seen uh, when her and Sasha finally clash, but yeah. Who knows, we'll need to see, but, um, you're right, she has been bigging up as a heel, she has owned this role. And Kwaku, as a man who is one of Scotland's greatest ring announcers, uh, you'll oh, appreciate you. when the wrestlers do interact with the people at ringside, and it doesn't seem to happen a lot in WWE. It's something I think mm. been missing from the programming, but I love it when Sasha and Bailey just start shouting at Cole and Graves. And they did that here, Cole stops, and he's just like, you hear the humanity in Cole for once. He's not just like the WWE robot who's giving you information about the sponsors and stuff. He's like, yeah, I've been I've been saying about your title run the full match, I like getting legitimately annoyed. It's so good, isn't it? The interactions between the Golden Role Models and the SmackDown commentary team. Yeah, it's very much so, because in, in wrestling, there's a thing about like, commentators, announcers and whatever have you that um, they're not meant to be over they're not meant to be more over than the wrestlers and at times that can hamper wrestlers interacting with them when in actual fact they're a big part of could make the wrestlers get themselves over so case an example Shane McMahon gets in the best of the world over and Greg Hamilton was a big part of that and the way he presented it but it wasn't like saying like oh look at Greg Hamilton he's amazing and all that stuff which he is yes but at the same time it was really putting that character over and this is what they're doing so those 
the talent at the side, the commentary, the announcement, the announcing team. I mean, even the Mandy Rose throwing the chair across the table, the cameraman kind of made that because it, it was heading for the cameraman and he had to dive out the way. And it was just those kind of things that just enhance the work that the wrestlers are doing that they should be utilising rather than thinking, oh, this person should not get over. Totally, and I love stuff like that. I think you should be using these people as characters, not necessarily in-ring performers, but these people are characters in their own right. It's one of the reasons I'm going to miss Renee Young. She became a character. You knew who Renee was as a backstage announcer, as a panelist, as a commentator, and we need to see that personality coming from a lot of people. So I like that they managed to bring out that side of Michael Cohen. Corey Graves loves that stuff. He's been saying stuff about Sasha Banks for, for the majority of his commentary career, so it's pretty good. But... Dave, talking about the NRI action itself, a lot of memorable spots here. We had a, a draping stunner from Bailey that was beautiful. She pulled out this really nasty looking leg submission that I thought looked really, really good. The DDT from mm-hmm. the steps to the floor from Asuka. Mm-hmm. We had a, a sunset flip buckle bomb, just to name a few. What were among them and maybe more your favourite spots in this match? Oof. I mean, it's hard to say really because I thought this was like a very strong opening match but I was more intrigued by the storyline aspect of it I think because obviously this was uh the first of Asuka's two matches to compete that night so I was curious to see you know I didn't and I didn't know how the matches were going to play out you know I didn't know if it was going to be one championship match after another or there'd be an extended break between the two to give Asuka time to recover so uh, my mind was mainly focused on that and as the longer the match went and the more brutal the spots became I did get me thinking, you know, how is Asuka going to be able to to hold her own against Sasha Banks uh, straight after this? But I honestly think, you know, out of, um, Bailey and Asuka have actually faced each other six times now, and this is the only time Bailey has ever beaten her one on one. Like Asuka's won five other times before that. So, yeah. and Bailey's new. Well, well, I say it's new. It's it's been around for some time now. Like her heelish attitude like her bigger personalities made her a bit more of a vicious competitor now and i think that's what's that's what made it so good against someone like asuka who she's never beaten before so there wasn't really any moves in particular it was more to see how the characters developed like over time like over the last few years and how it's impacted now and then when the match came to when asuka took on sasha later on like there were some recurring spots in that match but it sort of par- it brings up a parallel, you know, Bailey and Sasha are sort of in this together, you know, they're both singles champions, they're both tag champions. And the fact that the two matches had different outcomes, it really added a new dynamic to the Bailey-Sasha uh, angle. Yeah, we're going to get into the, the Sasha Banks ma- uh, match later on. Uh, but Stacey, I'll come to you, uh, just a more elaboration on that question. Um, for me, actually, the storyline element, well, I wasn't actually concerned about that at certain points in the match. In a way, for me, the, the, the in-ring action here made me forget about the stakes involved for a second, which I think was good. Were you similar? Because obviously, like you've said, you haven't been really been watching in the lead up to SummerSlam. So just this match alone, were there any spots that you picked out as saying that was a moment that made this a great match? I think that the flow of the match just, I thought it just flowed really well, but I was i was surprised that that was the opening match. Yeah. I thought it was going to be Sasha and Asuka that would open it. So, you know, that way the whole time I was just like, why is this, why is this opening? Why is this the opening match? Well, it's because it was a beat the clock. Uh, Bailey lost it, so she had to go first. Yeah, but... But I think that's the... Sorry. Stacey, I think you make a really good point because for me, the minute that that came out first, I thought 
well, she's not, you know, Bailey's going to retain, and then uh, Sasha's yeah. the one that's going to drop their title. Yeah. So uh, it gave a wee bit predictable uh, a wait. Away for me, I may have been reading too much into it, but that's what I thought for the but story. That is what I said as well. So it was like, well, if Sasha had went first, then you would be like, oh, well, you don't know how it's going to work out. But when it was Bailey first, it was like, well, Bailey's retaining, and then Sasha's going to lose. Like that's the way it's going to be because not both of them are going to win. But yeah. I would say if I was entering the ESSR sweep that I've not entered since the great. Um, Scottish Guardian and Netherlands victory all those years ago. I would have said that um, I would have said that she would have lost to Bailey, but what against Sasha? Because that made more sense in a way. So it, that's what I would have said. Well. Yeah, and, and another statistic as well. It adds to the fact that Sasha Banks has never successfully defended a singles championship in her career. That's, it's an interesting story they can play off. And speaking of story, uh, the finale, if you will, of this match saw an interesting moment. Uh, Sasha gets in the way of an Asuka hip attack, uh, which then allows Bailey to take advantage and get the win here. Gary, with no prior knowledge of what was coming next, what did you think that was going to play a factor going forward in the night? The, the fact that Sasha, okay, she's fulfilled her role as a friend to Bailey there. Yeah. Now. If that wasn't enough of a warning sign, what came shortly afterwards with the promo? Uh, if um, I can't remember exactly what Bailey says, was it if Sasha can beat? I think she says yeah. if Sasha can if beat. If Bailey can beat Asuka, then I can beat her. Yeah, that was it. Um, so that was a wee, wee hint of some more uh, tension between the two of them. I, but I thought this was a really good finish, a clever finish as well. It didn't make Asuka look weak uh, for what was to come later. Um, so I thought it was a really, really clever, well done finish. It protected Asuka and enhanced the story. And you totally. could see you know, the mirror image happen later on. And totally, and I, my favourite part about that promo is Bailey bring out the blush, the brush. It's like, we're going to have a clean, <laughs> a clean sweep. sweep. Clean sweep, and it's just like really. Uh, she's obviously been reading Stacey's jump book. It was great, and, and Quacky, we've got to talk about um, the things that they've done well to try and establish themselves as a team. Bailey changes gear for coming to ringside with this, and she puts on red gear to match the Raw Women's Championship to try and match with Sasha. Despite the fact that we know the heel turn is coming, they're doing things to make to plant seeds of doubt. Are they on a completely united front? And I like that that sort of small change there from Bailey. Um, they, they, as far as I'm, they convinced me they were, but however, f- fast tracking to Raw just there, the way Sasha kept on looking at, with such jealousy at Satya and Bailey, and the way that Bailey was hiding her excitement that she's got both belts when Sasha was looking at her, but when Sasha was turned around, she was obviously gloating and smiling. So I kind of played that kind of field of, mm, are they going to break up or whatever? Because it was cleverly done, they must say. It's an in-between thing. And we get into the Sasha uh, Asuka match itself. Really intense start, a lot of big strikes from Asuka. Uh, we have the, the targeting of, uh, of the knee as well, played a big factor in. Uh, but Stacey, we then had one of those moments that just makes you go, 
ouches that is Sasha hits a, a huge apron sunset flip bomb oh, uh, onto oh. the floor what was your reaction Stacey upon seeing that oh is, is that when Asuka's head like bounced off the ground mm. yep like, oh, yeah I was like that that is horrible like that is dangerous I just thought well uh, this must be the end of the match <laughs> you know that way yeah. I winced at that. Like that was that was so painfully sounding. I my head felt sore watching it. For sure. And the fact David, that he can I carried on as well after it? it was like, wow, yeah, he deserves to win this now. <laughs> yeah, David, can I rewind back a second because something really annoyed me at the start of this match. Right, Asuka, Asuka came to the ring with her jacket, with her mascot, and dancing away as if she hadn't just been in a match and just lost and be screwed out of a the yes. SmackDown women's title with a supposed knee injury which didn't affect her, her dancing, dance moves. Yeah. That, there was a big disconnect there from the story. She should have been walking through that ring, all business, uh, selling the injury as well. Uh, so I thought there was a wee disconnect and it's not often that you, I would pick up yeah. something like that with Asuka but she is so good like why did she just come out like swearing and swearing in Japanese and stuff just going full anger mode that would have been perfect I, and I think Gary I didn't even I didn't even pick up on that but you're right and it's one of those things in wrestling we talked about Sasha and Bailey doing these these little nuances right in the telling of their story um, guys just open up to you yeah that's one of the things with Asuka that does take you out of the situation it doesn't really sell uh, the, the, the sort of emotion of it all yeah it's um it's kind of like you know if you're playing one of the wwe video games and you've just got one match happening after the other as if you know if you've got the same person competing two matches in a row and they just come out as if you know their entrance is exactly the same as the first one it, it's a, a little bit of an inconsistency i think now that gary's mentioned it it it, make, it makes me think yeah that that was a bit unrealistic uh, with the, the build but the match itself you know the, the whole submission game targeting Asuka's knee the powerbomb spot and it, it just goes to show like even after being in WWE for so long Asuka can, til- can still take bumps like that and it was a very well hard fought victory for her and the, like you said Dave there were a lot of great spots in this match a couple of my favourites I jotted down because for me the, the, the Golden Gold Motors uh, Asuka matches were the best technical wrestling matches the night for me we had an electric chair into mm. sort of what I call a wheelbarrow slam uh, that then she then transitioned into mm. a knee bar which I thought was a, a brilliant sequence we had a top rope TDT um, mm-hmm. we had the, the back and forth with the Asuka lock and the back statement of the Asuka lock Kwaku what something Gary said earlier uh, was that Asuka has been one of the MVPs of this lockdown era but I think it's actually ascended in this feud because the chemistry between Asuka and both sets of the Golden Globe models is just sublime. Mm-hmm. There's been so many layers to it with like deceit, cheating, and betrayal, and why, where did I get betrayal from? There's so many layers and also yeah. beating up a pal and stuff well, like that. Be, yeah. Yeah, being that's what I made to say rather than betrayal. I don't know where I got betrayal from. <laughs> anyway, um, so yeah, there's been just so many different layers to it. So it's been really engaging. And also the fact that Asuka had the choice of pick my pal or pick a championship. Pick my pal or pick my championship. And yeah, she went and picked her pal. And then they scattered away as soon as uh, Asuka turned up. And yeah, yes. 
just for the name. Great. And it's been it's led to the best in ring matches I think we've seen during the lockdown era. I'd go I'd go out on a limb to say that I've loved it. But we get to the finish of that match, Stacey, and it's an exact reverse of the finish in the first one. We have the hip attack again, but instead of taking it, Bailey gets out of the way of it, which perhaps offers Asuka the opportunity to take advantage and, and capture the Raw Women's Championship. What was your thoughts on the finish to this one? I was quite surprised that Bailey didn't do what Sasha did to begin with because of just hearing her at the side of the ring with all the pep talks that she was giving to Sasha. And she, if Bailey ever wants to give up wrestling, if she's looking for a career after it, inspirational speaker. The way that she was egging on Sasha through that, perfect. Um, but I was surprised that it was Bailey that didn't help Sasha, mm. even though. Sasha had helped Bailey earlier, so yeah. I was really surprised that Bailey didn't help her in that. Honestly, it's, it doesn't, it doesn't surprise me at all. No, Dave. No, because I think since you know Bailey had taken on the heel persona and then Sasha came back to help her out, it's always been about Bailey, as far as I'm concerned. Like she's been champion for 318 days straight, and she's got the tag team titles just to top on top of that. Uh, Bailey's the one who's calling all the shots and I think Sasha's been taken for a ride here like because you know Sasha was the one who took a bullet for Bailey just so she could retain the Smackdown Women's Championship that's putting her pal first over the championship but the fact that Bailey isn't re- reciprocating that that goes to show that Bailey's only putting a half-assed effort into protecting her friend which makes me think that Bailey's more in it for herself uh, whereas Sasha is more keen to protect her friends so yeah. Um, it doesn't surprise me that Bailey, who's the one calling the shots, she can basically get away with, you know, the the more the sort of less ethical tactics. Yeah, and it's the, like I, I, to finish this off, guys. It is the biggest storyline that's been going on in WWE right now for quite some time. This underlying thing with Bailey and Sasha Banks. So I'm going to go around each of you and give a prediction for when you think the breakup is going to happen. Um, and that, remember, this is set in stone. This is your official prediction. You will be held to account if you get it wrong. All right, so we'll start with you, Kwaku. Royal Rumble. Rumble. Dave. Hell in a cell. Gary. I would. My head says. My heart says Royal Rumble. Uh, spin this out for WrestleMania match because it's a story that deserves at that moment. But I'm. I wouldn't surprise me at all if this happened on Monday. You know, immediately following payback. Interesting. Interesting. When I, I might consider. Uh, come Thursday night. Uh, Stacey? Um, I think it is going to be like Gary said. I think it's, I wouldn't be surprised if it was Monday after they lose on Sunday. I I have to agree with Kwaku. I genuinely believe that they will, this will be a WrestleMania match. And I like right now, I can't see a main event that would top this, to be honest with you. I'd love this to be a WrestleMania main event. Uh, these two going at it for the women's championship. Um, like you said, Gary, it is, it is partly in my heart because we've watched Sasha and Bailey grow as a tandem from the beginning of this so-called women's evolution and the, the trends that they set, the main events that they had in NXT. And for me to have this pay off at a, a B pay-per-view would be a complete injustice to the work that these two women have done. And I don't I actually don't wouldn't be surprised if what you're saying came true. I just think that the moment that would happen, like you said, Quacker, 
we have fans back, the pop at the rumble if one of them turns on the other, you know, mm-hmm. to cost them a victory. The pop at Mania we would have if Sasha finally get dethrones Bailey and gets one over on her. Those are things, those are stories that I don't think we can throw away easily. If they do go to WrestleMania in a one-on-one match, one of them has to win the Royal Rumble. No two ways about it. Mm, interesting. Stuff to consider from all of our great panellists here at ESSR. What do you think? What's your opinion on it? Tweet us. Let us know when you think Bailey and Sasha Banks will be breaking up after all of this. But from two fantastic matches involving three of the most talented women uh, in WWE. We go to two of the, the finest tag teams on the roster today. Um, it was the Street Profits versus Andrade and Angel Garza, uh, always accompanied uh, by the crafty Zelina Vega. Um, Kwaku, I need to come to you on this. Kevin Owens comes out for commentary and what a delight he was for us today. He is the best. I love that man. I just love the way he he's just so flippant and nonchalant about what he says and does. He's just absolutely brilliant. And the way he took in the Thunderdome as well, he's like, oh, hello. <laughs> I'm thinking, you know, brilliant. I think my wife's somewhere up there. I think Exactly. I think <laughs> <laughs> so- coming out in commentary was a bit unexpected from, from what I could tell. Like, I, like, well, he's wearing a Street Profit shirt and I'm thinking, okay, well, he's, uh, now we know why he's out here. But, it did get me thinking about, you know, what role could he potentially play here, you know, rather than just be a commentator. Well, he yeah. came out essentially to promote his uh, KO show the next day with Alistair Black, but he said, I don't know if it's happening, I've asked him, so let's see. <laughs> it was just funny the way he said it. Did he laugh got his red tie on as well? Make him look very dapper. And Gary, to be fair, it does seem like they just wanted to give KO something to do after reportedly being pulled from an encounter with Seth Rollins at SummerSlam. Yeah, what a difference a year makes because a year ago Kevin Owens was one of the hottest things in the company. He had just he had an amazing match or an amazing moment rather at SummerSlam with uh, Shane McMahon. Yeah. And a year later he's not on the show and he's sat in commentary. And um, I I love the Street Profits. I I feel they're completely directionless just now. They're like a bag in the wind just now and if there was a match here that screamed pre-show to me this was it mm. uh, I struggled to to really care much about it I, I well, this may be heresy to members of the podcast here I think Andrade <laughs> is as dull as dishwater he's a great wrestler yes. bell to bell mm. but there is something missing about the presentation of the character just right. now the only uh, interesting thing from this um, the tension between Garza and Andrade and uh, the only thing of note that I would take out of it. So, there's a couple of things to pick up on there and, and Kwaku, I will. A couple. Yeah, no, Gary, Gary, why not just finish off and call my mama slag or something? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I, I have to agree with you in a certain extent, Gary, in that the Street Profits have suffered from, I think we had a lacklustre feud a bit with the Viking Raiders that was a lot, hit or miss for a lot of people. But then this storyline is maybe dragged on a bit. We've been teasing dissension between Andrade and Garza for a while with no payoff seemingly in sight. Uh, but Stacey, you've just taken this action in as it was presented to you. What was your opinion on the, the tag team match? I loved it. 
I thought it was a really good match. <laughs> like the Street Profits, I love them. Like I love them. Garza and Andrade, they've got, they do have good chemistry together as a tag team. Um, but you could tell that as soon as uh, Vega went down, you knew that Andrade was just going to turn his back on Garza and just go straight to her. So as soon as she went down, you knew that something was going to happen. So you knew that was at the end of the match. And Dave, the thing is with that, it does set up the dynamic of that tag team. Andrade and Zelina have been a pair for a lot longer than uh, Angel Garza has been in the picture. Do you think he's the guy who's going to get the boot, so to speak? I mean, it certainly looks like it, but you know what? I'm actually kind of disappointed with the way this match turned out because Andrade and Garza have actually shown a lot of increasing chemistry as a tag team, and I was hoping that this would be the night where it finally pays off and they won the tag team titles. So, and the fact they had matching attires as well, that just goes to show how well they've bonded as a tag team. But, you know, it's the old manager falls off the apron, one guy goes on to check, and then the other guy sort of suffers for that, that error. It's something that would I would normally see happen to a face tag team as opposed to a heel tag team. So I think they could have I think they could have booked this like a whole lot better. And you know I was always focused on Kevin Owens' presence as well. Like you know there was the whole poisoning angle with Selena Vega poisoning Montez Ford. But I felt it can't be that simple. I think there has to be something more to it. And that got me thinking: what if it was Kevin Owens who told Selena to poison Montez Ford? So. I mean, I think there's so many different possibilities they could have done with it, but they think they were just straight up lazy with it. And as much as I, as much as I like the Street Profits as a tag team, I think storyline-wise, they could have had a chance to further this a bit more. You know, have Andrade and Garza capitalize on their uh, reinvigorated tag team, but also create a new dynamic for the Street Profits and a new uh, step in this rivalry. So yeah. I, I, I would basically call this missed booking opportunity, and I think that's and I hate to say it, I think it was probably my least favourite match on the card. Yeah, and I have to say, like, I think Gary was fair in maybe his criticism of the angle. No one's questioning the talents of the men involved. Montez Ford is proving himself to be a star with every appearance that he makes eh, on the show. But Gary, I do have a question for you. You mentioned about eh, Andrade's presentation not being great. We've talked about a potential breakup. Would you like to see it go back to the way the presentation was with him as NXT champion? Zelina really is the aggressive mouthpiece again, and Andrade just getting to focus on the in-ring stuff and not being sort of relied on to play a storyline out. Yeah, I think so. I I've been disappointed with Andrade's entire run on the main roster. There's been moments, you know, great matches throughout it, particularly the ones with Rey Mysterio. I don't think we've ever seen the version of Andrade we've seen at, as the NXT champion. Yeah, I don't I think we've ever that. seen that on the main roster. And I said in a, a show we did a while ago, we talked about NXT call-ups, that, that I put Andrade down as one of the more disappointing ones because he promises so much. And I think his character at the moment is just, a wee, is just one-dimensional. I, I, yeah. I don't see much... We don't know anything more about Andrade now than we did before. There's no layers to the character there, and uh, I I would strongly advocate. I'd be I'd be thrilled and delighted if they went back more of the type of presentation that we see in NXT. 
totally. Going back, Gary, to my... I was listening back to this show, actually, like probably a couple of months ago. My very first appearance in this podcast, I said it was on Power Couples and Wrestling, that Zelina Vega elevates Andrade to no end. And I stand by that years later. I stand by that comment because I think Zelina Vega and Andrade are a great pairing. But like you said, Andrade should have been pushed to the moon as a single star. And he wasn't. He was let down by the booking. And I know that's easy to say. People hit back on that and say you need to take your opportunities. But Andrade's really never been given an opportunity, opportunity. to shine in that environment. Mm-hmm. He's never been passed the ball mm-hmm. in that sense. So it's interesting that way, talking about the Raw Tag Team title match, Quacky will finish off with you there. It was his match against Johnny Gargano that got me hooked on NXT. And another point to bring, this was my favourite match of the night. I loved it. King Tez, Mortez, and it's just the way he carries himself, the way he, that frog splash was something or the other. It was absolutely, I mean, if. The um, reaction was great as well. Yeah, if, if RVD does a five star frog splash, this is a seven star because he gets much bigger height and he does a turn. Loved it. Mm. Very nice. The Meltzer scale uh, frog splash. Oh, no, Meltzer. No, you ruined it. Uh, I do need felt. to come back to the man. He's, he's throwing, he's throwing bombs everywhere. Gary Kernahan, because one year ago today, uh, well not today, but one year ago around this time, you were at SummerSlam, and we talked about that on last year's review. Gary, you were there for the the debut entrance of the Fiend. You've seen that in person. We need to talk about the Universal Title match: Braun Strowman versus Bray Wyatt. Gary Kernahan, one year on from seeing the emergence of that character. What is your been? What is your evaluation on the first year of the Fiend? I think it promised so much, and I remember at the time. I think we all said WWE were saying of WWE, please, please don't mess this up. And I think they messed it up royally. And uh, the red lights, the unkillable monster. The Goldberg match, uh, I'm getting the championship when he did, he should never have got the championship then. This never ending feud with Braun Strowman, there's so many bits of it, it's been so disappointing. But I've seen this SummerSlam as maybe a, a, a resetting of the character, is what I'm hoping. We, we didn't see during this match as much of the unstoppable monster he sold he went down for two falls after you know big moves and mm-hmm. um, i don't think any of us want to see you know, that i don't buy this you know the, the magic the hocus pocus part of it uh, i don't buy him you know, getting smacked in the head with a was a toolbox that seth rollins built with him and getting up for it i can't suspend my belief that much uh, but i i'm Hoping, you know, in terms of presentation, um, I thought he, his entrance had an aura about it the way it did last year, mm. and I, I was much happier with the presentation of the character in this match than I have been for an awful long time. And I have to, we do have to talk about this feud specifically, and Quacky will come to you on that. Gary has alluded to the fact that he feels this feud's been never ending, and it has been a feud of three parts. We saw Braun versus Art Attack Bray, uh, we saw Braun versus Well and Mercy Bray, and now we're seeing Braun uh, versus uh, the demented clown uh, Bray Wyatt, you know, so it's been a feud of three parts. What's your been, what's been your evaluation on the feud of Braun Strowman and Bray Wyatt in this modern run? 
good opening storyline with the fact that Strowman used to be in the White family. Yes. Lackluster execution. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Lackluster execution. Yeah. And I don't, uh, maybe that's the whole point. I don't get what Strowman's all about now. I, I, I just don't get it. Yeah. And it's, I think it comes to this thing that people are, they're changed by rivalries with The Fiend. We've seen that throughout. We're seeing that with Strowman now. Uh, we've seen it with Alexa Bliss. It's, it's been thought of. The Miz um, is an all one who comes to mind. And I think that's what they're doing with Braun. But you're right, Quacky. It hasn't been clearly defined. What about Braun Strowman has been changed specifically? But getting to the action, Stacey, this started like I would call a Brock Lesnar-Goldberg match. These two just went right at it. We had toolboxes, we had barricades being busted, a choke slam into the, at the table. This was as an action pack to start as you're going to get to a wrestling match. Oh, definitely. And, um, and whenever I see uh, um, a Bray Wyatt or The Fiend entrance, I'm like, right, I'm ready. I'm ready for this match. I'm ready for this. Um, and then just seeing him like picking up Braun by the neck and actually lifting him up, I'm like, oh my god. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, I really enjoyed this match. Like, mm-hmm. I thought it had a wee bit of everything in it, kind of. I really mm-hmm. enjoyed it. Really enjoyed yeah. it. A good bit of flavour in here. Um, obviously, the stipulation of it was false count anywhere. As announced on the bump, I believe, the day before the match was due to take place. Dave, do you think the false count anywhere stipulation actually really added much here? Was it necessary or um, mm. are you happy to see it? Honestly, not really. Because the way the match sort of panned out, I think they could have got away with it if it was just like a simple no DQ or help, even make it like an unsanctioned match. You know, because they were, you know, they were brawling in the weeks prior, you know, they were fighting backstage, Bray goes in the ambulance. Like, I think an unsanctioned match probably would have made more sense, because I think there was only a couple of pinfalls where that took place outside the ring. One that was on the mats, and then one backstage. And they only spent, like, about a few minutes backstage before coming back to the ring. So I think the false count anywhere was a bit, a little bit unnecessary, but I like the brutality, you know, of the weapon spots, the barricade spots etc like it was a very brutal hard-hitting match and they both delivered for two big men um but i think the character changes as well certainly added to this element of the story you know bronze is back to being his in his monster phase now and obviously the biggest change he went through was you know he's basically lost his hair now and (laughs) um but i like the way the fiend has gone back to you know his as soon as he hits you with the mandible claw, you get into a fiend, into a, a feud with the fiend, and he hits you with that mandible claw. Like basically, when he sticks his fingers inside you, you become a changed person. Well, there's that, and also Gary, I can see you're chomping at the bit to get involved here. I know what you're, I know you were wanting to say, Gary. I know what you're wanting to say. This definitely should have been a cinematic match encounter between Braun Strowman and the fiend. <laughs> I'm definitely not saying that. I would rather have the Fiend stick his fingers in me than have another cinematic match. <laughs> than that. Um, I mean, the, his slogan is like the end. I mean, the, I, I've been critical of the cinematic matches before. There have been far, far, far too many of them, and far, far too many of them featuring the Fiend. This is probably the first proper match Bay Wyatt's had since yeah. the Royal Rumble, maybe. Yeah, money um, in the bank. It's yeah, money in the bank. Thank you. Um, he's not really had had many matches. 
Um, so I'm, I was pleased that we didn't go this way. I had very low expectations of this match. I didn't think it would be an event. I certainly didn't think it would be an event. I understand why it may an event people should get, get on to it. Um, but I was really low expectations with this match and um, the guys really over-delivered as far as I was concerned. Just, you know, you've said some of the things about it being hard hitting. Um, you know, some of the selling was better. Um, could have been better. There's a points that, you know, the the net break instance that that White did twice, Strowman could have made more of a deal out of, out of that. Yeah. But I think, um, yeah, if I ever see another cinematic match, it will be too soon. <laughs> you know, now that, you've, now that you've mentioned it, Art Attack Bray as well. Like, you know, if he comes out, you know, doing a Neil Buchanan accent, like, I'm sold, you know, he could just wrestle as Firefly Funhouse, <laughs> Bray Wyatt, right? And now for this next project, here's something I made earlier. I took <laughs> Rabbling Rabbit's head right off. Oh, well, there's that as well. Uh, Stacy, <laughs> we're going to come to you about the finish here. Braun Strowman cutting the ring to expose uh, the wood underneath, which also sounds a bit dark. Well, you started it with your whole fingers up, you. Yeah. <laughs> He's cutting the ring to expose the wood. And then, and then someone, someone gets their head hit on the wood. <laughs> That's the way it goes. Uh, Stacey, what did you think about the finish to this this false count anywhere encounter? Well, I think that when Braun cut that, like when he cut away the mat to show the wood, um, he was like, right, Braun's losing now. Yeah. So just the fact that he, that he did that, you knew that it wasn't going to be Bray that was going to be getting slammed onto the wood and then um, it was going to be you know you knew as soon as he started doing that that, that was Braun lost match well that's yeah right. definitely I, called, I, I said that as well and we had we had the Fiend lifting the Universal Championship high and then SummerSlam ends KO of course See, it didn't wait, we when had, he started that I had a really dark thought and I'm kicking myself for this I just thought why does he just use the knife yeah <laughs> <laughs> I he, was Aye, he brought like a knife into the ring and he didn't even shanked the fiend just ended I know it's dark but it's how, like how else are you going to defeat the fiend like you know Seth Rollins tried it with a sledgehammer and it, you know it just about killed him you know, and I know I know I slit his throat, but you have to understand it was no disqualification. You can't disqualify him for using a knife. We have to talk about Stacy, the return of Roman Reigns. What were your thoughts upon seeing uh, that newly dentured man return to WWE? Right. Well, I was watching the show on a half hour delay, and. Um, just as the Braun and Bray match was about to start, my screen started buffering. So I was like, for, I don't know why I thought this. I just thought, right, I'll, I'll just go and have a look on Facebook or Twitter while, while it's going. I don't know why I even thought that would be a good idea. But uh, when on, first thing I saw was, has Roman Reigns got new teeth? So I hadn't seen anything. I was like, Oh, maybe but Roman Reigns must be back. So you know that way. I just spent the entire match, the first time, but like, not really paying attention. So I was just like, when, when is Roman coming out? Like when is he coming? And then saw him, 
New t-shirt. Love it. Love his new top. But then I saw his teeth and I was like, oh my god. <laughs> Wonderful stuff. Wonderful stuff. Um, and he's, he's a very good dentist. So yeah. He's back. Why do people, when they get their teeth done, always get it so massive? Mm. What? I don't know. <laughs> like, why can't it just be normal? Uh, it, he, he, he clearly went to methadone mixed dentists. Uh, yeah. Freddy... It's, always, it's always like they lifted piano keys off and put it in their mouth and arranged it. So is it for any, for any non Scottish listeners that didn't get that reference, just watch season 7 of Still Game. This is the type of analysis that people pay for and want from us <laughs> is to, to talk about the dentures that somebody's had put in. We have uh, to, Gary. It can't not be addressed, you know. See if he debuts a new theme on SmackDown. I really hope he he chooses shiny teeth and me from Fairly Odd Parents. Yes, but a bit. Let's get back to seriousness, guys. We've got wrestling to talk about here. All right, come on, Kaku. Uh, um, a lot of people we had our fans mail in to say happy to see Roman Reigns back, but concerned that I undercut the Fiend's title win. Where do you stand in that particular argument? See, you can't, you can't be, be about that. You just got to account for what it is and stuff like that. Because yeah. when you, it's as if fans have become booking themselves. What's the point of watching it then? If you're mm-hmm. like, oh, this, like you can critique or whatever, but to say, oh, it's going to cut this short or whatever, is this a bit of a weird thing? You just got to take in for what it is, and. Yeah. And even if it was the case, would that be such a bad thing? Because in my personal opinion, the Fiend shouldn't suit a title reign, in my opinion, because the Fiend is much more than that, in my opinion. Well, not much more, but it's something different to that. Yeah, something outside the title scene. And obviously, mm-hmm. Rome Reigns back. We know now, Gary, he will be involved in a triple threat match. Uh, on Sunday um, at Payback facing off against The Fiend and Braun Strowman. What do you think is going to happen at Payback and what do you think the, the overall plan is for Roman now that he is back on SmackDown? Uh, I don't know, but I'm looking forward to finding out. I, mm. but I, I think it's a wee bit, I think it's a misstep to put Roman into this so quickly. Mm. Uh, you know, less is more. Roman is somebody we've had shoved down our throats a lot in the past. He's not been the champion for quite a period of time. You know, people are excited by this. Give us the suspense, the antici- build the anticipation a little bit more. Don't give it away on a B pay per view with no build up to it. Just tell the story a wee bit more. Let's see more of that side of Roman along the way. Uh, I thought that was a cracking ending of the show. It completely surprised everybody, mm-hmm. and, and and it was only after the spear had been hit that you really seen who it was, and it was a proper oh my god moment. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't, I I don't accept that it took anything away from the Fiend's title, and I think Quacko is absolutely right. The Fiend's not really that traditional champion. Plus, he's a heel. <laughs> and the players are supposed to get beaten down, and uh, that's exactly what happened. Well, yeah. is he, is you, might see, you, you might see you never saw it coming. Never saw it coming as the tagline oh. of the show. But Roman also demonstrated some, some heelish tendencies. He was screaming at, at the feature, yeah. just a freak in a mask. And he, he was screaming at Braun, you would never be anything without me, alluding to the fact that, that Braun took his universal title opportunity at WrestleMania against Goldberg. So he's coming back and he's. He's quite peed off a wee bit, but Dave, coming to you, 
I will be addressing this on my YouTube show, The Conspiracy Theory, as to who the members of Retribution might be. There's a lot of talk right now. The Roman Reigns shirt and his new motto seems to fit the mould of Retribution. Could we see Roman Reigns as the brains behind that group? Well, now that you've plugged the idea out for the world, it actually doesn't sound that far-fetched. But then again, you know, Roman Reigns is a one-man army in himself. And his t-shirt, my, my initial thought was, you know, this is going to be his character going forward. Is exactly what's said on his t-shirt, you know, wreck everyone and leave. So I think going forward, I think he's just going to, because he doesn't need an army to fight uh, his battles for him. He is an army. I reckon, I reckon he's just going to go come in and just wreak havoc on everybody. Like, it doesn't matter if he's a face or a heel. This could be something I like to refer to as the chaotic neutral character. You know, a guy who just goes absolutely berserk. And it's the type of character that I think the fans have been wanting to see Roman Reigns portray. You know, just this monster heel who, well, not, not necessarily a heel, just like a monster competitor that takes out everybody. And if he acts like a beast, like he did from his shield days, that's what got people to cheer for him. Like it yeah. didn't matter if it, it didn't matter if it was face or heel. So I can see Roman, you know, gaining well, for lack of a better word, retribution for not being able to compete at WrestleMania and you know basically trying to reclaim his spot as the top dog and the big dog. You can see that happening, Dave. One last prediction before you all go: Who wins the Universal Title at Payback? Stacey, start with you. Oh, I don't know. I think. Ron will win it back. I think it'll be too soon for Roman to win. But, Interesting. Yeah. Interesting stuff from Stacey, Gary. Bray Wyatt though. I think it'll be I, I think The Fiend retains and I hope that The Fiend retains. I think it's too soon for the reasons I gave earlier on to put it back onto Roman yeah. just yet. Interesting. Dave, what are you thinking? See, this is a tricky one now that we've had this discussion because my head says The Fiend because it'd be too soon for him to lose this early. But then again, crazier things have happened to WWE. So it would not surprise me if Roman Reigns won this match by pinning Strowman because that way The Fiend doesn't look too weak. You know, he could just vanish, you know, whenever he wants to. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me, you know, if Roman Reigns comes out swinging, takes the Universal Championship, uh, wrecks everyone and then leaves. Interesting stuff. Quacky Aji, what are you thinking? No contest because of retribution interference. So, literally, we've had every possible option from the panel here. <laughs> 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 that. Everyone thinks that different things going to happen. That's what you come to SSR folks for this, these different opinions. And we want to hear yours. What, who do you think? will be winning at payback let us know on twitter let us know on facebook join the essr community group guys we want to hear from you we want you to be a part of this show so interact with us on all our social media i want to thank my panel uh, for being here today uh, dave thank you so much cornerstone of essr thanking you goat thank you stacy so good to see you again so good to see you too david thank you very much and gary gary Mwah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, David. Thank you. Uh, and Kwaku, um, yeah, you've got some movies to watch, son. So, 
probably not. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone got a lovely goodbye. I got back to work. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, guys, I will catch you all um, later on. More content from me, SSR, coming out in the coming weeks. Don't forget, check us out. Spotify, iTunes, everywhere you get podcasts, and go and check out our YouTube show as well. Until we see you next time, guys, cheerio. Ladies and gentlemen, Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet now proudly presents Suplex Retweet Extra! Get bonus content on WWE, AEW, NXT, WCW, Scottish and World Independent Promotions. Subscribe now on Spotify, Apple, and Android podcasting sites, as well as YouTube. Head over to suplexretweet.com now!